Blog Talk Radio. I'm your host, Janice Tunnell, for today, March 19th. Uh, we are happy to have you guys on the line with us tonight. Um, just a quick reminder, if you have a comment or question for our guest tonight or for us, please give us a uh, call at 914-803-4399. Again, that number is 914-803-4399. Uh, we are excited about our guest tonight, Mr. Greg Bazemore. But first, I'm going to turn it over to Denise so that she can greet you as well. Good evening, everyone. Thank you guys for joining us tonight. Again, as Denise stated, we are um, very excited about our guest tonight. So looking forward to starting the show. All right. Well, we're not going to hold you guys long, and we want to get our guest on um, so we can spend the um, the most time we can as possible with him. Um, welcome to the show, Emmy Award-winning hairstylist Greg Bazemore. Hello. Hi, Greg. Good evening. How are you? How are you? It's been a long time since we've talked. I know. It's wonderful, wonderful. Just enjoying life right now. Hey, <laughs> that's all we can do. Happy to hear that. Um, let's just jump straight into the conversation, and I just okay. wanted you to introduce yourself to our listening audience and tell them a little bit about yourself, you know, like where you're from, um, okay. how you started your career in beauty and that kind of thing. All right. My name is Greg Bazemore, and from Washington, D.C. Originally, um started out as a graphics major, funny enough, and um, mm-hmm. When I didn't want to pursue my graphic career, I told my mom I wanted to, you know, go to hair school. And she's like, okay, if you do it, you know, got to finish. So I just actually started this out as a hobby, and it became more of a career path. So um, thank you oh, wow. for her pushing me to do that. Yeah. And then I started, um, I was did a, 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 a talent show for a friend, like just changing his hairstyle throughout the show. And a costume designer from Howard University um, was refer uh, another designer was in the audience that referred me to that costume designer and he took me on all of his shows and said, you know, it's a thankless business, but if you really want something out of it, you know, you go along for the ride. So I did, <laughs> and, and it's been a, it's been a whirlwind from you know from touring started out touring. Um, musicals, Dream Girls, and um, Color Purple, and then moving on to, you know, 
through TV and film, did a lot of theater, and then moved on to TV and film, and here I am. So you, I hear, heard you say you moved on to TV and film, so you don't do any theater at all anymore? Actually, I still do. I still design for um, local theater. Um, I, I run a show, Paradise Square, before it closed, and I'm doing a show now at the Jewish Theater in Washington, D.C., so I still do do some design stuff for the theater. I still love the theater, though. Gotcha. That's very yeah. nice. Now, so theater, film, television, um, and you do you still own a salon or? I don't. I have a, um, a mobile service, and I have not been able to even indulge in any of that. So, like, my microblading that I um, picked up and micropigmentation, I have not had the time in like I would say the last two years to even from going to one project to the next it's just been Mm -hmm. crazy it's a lot it's a lot okay so now that you said that because we've experienced that as well so now that you said that let me ask you this Um, if you could talk to the audience about this like because you know owning a salon Mm-hmm. And then going on a film and TV set, um, oh. or even doing work, or even doing work in the theater, it's hard to be. You know, you can't be at that salon, um, right. and then you have clients who, who mm-hmm. you know, are consistent with getting their hair done or whatever the service it is. Before you, was there ever a time where you kind of struggled with, okay, I'm at the salon, but I do want to do um, film and TV. Um, how mm-hmm. am I going to manage it? Because there have been some some hairstyles that I do know that have tried to manage it. You know, they just work all the time. They just work Sunday through Sunday at that point. Right. But right. has there ever been a time when you did experience that? And if so, oh, how did that yes. go? And it went, and what made you say, okay, you know what, enough is enough? Um, I would say enough is enough after I started. Um, what the pandemic is what caused me to stop doing both. Gotcha. Um, I, I now I I take a few clients only on Saturdays, but before then, up until the pandemic, I was doing all three. I would do design a theater show. I would work TV and film Monday through Friday, and do clients Saturday and Sunday. And I was doing it all. I would leave sometime. I would um, get off at night and and set wigs and get them to the theater and have an assistant, you know, be there for the tech. And so it was, it was a lot And I still work with the, um, one of the local high schools in DC. So I would do all their big shows twice a year and in the midst of all of that. My goodness. Oh my goodness. So it can be done, but it's a lot, especially I would say, well, when I did have a full salon, it was hard managing that and managing people because when you're not there is the biggest mm-hmm. challenge because you can't be there to manage what's going and what's coming, what's happening, and, and your staff knowing that you're not there. That's right. the biggest challenge. Right. So. Let's go back for a second. How did you – now, you said you started off um, – you were doing shows when you started off. How did you um, start with having a salon? How did you get into doing salon work? Salon work, um, when I got out of 
hair school. I did the salon. Um, did the salon for like 16 years before I started oh, wow. doing theater. Before I started doing theater, and that when I was introduced to theater, I would you know do hair in the morning, go to the theater at night, and you know um, then those two show days on Saturday and Sunday. You know, it was no. I would wake up at 5 a.m. do clients, be at the theater by 12 o'clock and be there until 10, 11 o'clock at night and then do it all again Sunday morning. And so the only days I had to rest were like Mondays actually for, for, oh, I would say about, I did that for about five years straight. And then I went on um, to do House of Cards when it was in Baltimore. So I was doing mm-hmm. that, going there early and driving to Baltimore an hour in the morning and then driving an hour and a half back to the theater in the evening, getting off early enough to go to the theater and do that. And so I did that for quite a while, for at least three seasons of House of Cards. Wow. I mean, I'm yeah. saying wow, but I'm saying wow, but I remember working a full-time job and then mm-hmm. getting off of work. Now, luckily, I didn't have to drive an hour. Like, I would get off of work, and, like, they would be shooting. This would be on the wire. They would be shooting, you know, somewhere, like, near the water. So I was already working downtown, so I was close. Right. But <laughs> they were doing night shoots, so their their day oh, okay. started at 6 p.m., crew call, okay. and I got off of work at 5. So, okay, so I would go time. in. <laughs> oh, yeah, I would go in and work a whole day on set go home, sleep for about half an hour to an hour, and then get up and go back to work. So you understand. But, I totally understand. So I definitely understand. <laughs> i tell you one thing that I wouldn't do. I would not do that today. Um, right. But that no, was I know back. better today. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> yeah. Back when you were a whole lot younger, you know, yeah. you really wanted it, you know, so, mm-hmm. you know. Mm-hmm. I mean, yeah. I still I still want it, but I want it in a different way now. Um, of course. People say, well, you've won an Emmy, and it's like, I've, I guess I've reached all of the things that people reach for at such, you know, early stage in my career, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's just, for me, it's just the creative part of it. I don't, mm-hmm. it doesn't, it's not, it doesn't feel like work to me. Like, my work on Pose did not ever... I feel like we felt like we're going to a party every day. So it wow. was just, it was just you know a life changing experience, and you know to actually win the Emmy and go through that process is it's been great, and to still be able to share that creativity I have with other shows, I I just look forward to you know having that experience. Yeah, yeah, like you said, you know you want it, you still want it. It's just it's just different, but then also you're more established. Like back then, you know, yeah. you were new to the business, so you did mm-hmm. whatever you had to do to get in the business, to, you know, to, right. to remember, get started. I remember sitting talking to you on one set, <laughs> and you mm-hmm. told me yeah. that story when you started out. Yeah, so yeah, uh, it's, it's, it's a true it's a true grind, and I and I um I was doing more started doing more social media thing and wanted to get into more education because I get people all the time asking me how to do this and how to do that. So um, I kind of started edging on that part of doing, like, training and 
um, that thing. I, I, I did a small ebook um, that I had um, started publishing on on, on my um, social media about the mindset of a stylist, and that was what I was um, talking about, just the thought process that goes into designing and that time management with, you know, the theater and just your everyday life because theater does not pay nearly what TV and film does. Right. Yeah. Right. So so who's your audience for that book? Are you speaking to, to already established stylists, like, like maybe stylists who work in the salon who want to do more celebrity work? Yes, yeah, it was geared for newcomers, people that are like hair school stylists that are already mm-hmm. established because those are the ones that mostly come to me and say, you know, hey, I want to do this. But it's like, it's not just jump in and do this, you know. It's, right. It's, it's learning, to, especially if you haven't gone to school. Like, I went to School of the Arts in North Carolina. So it's, it's, it's definitely a training and you know, a level, just like when you're going to school every day, just being responsible to be there on time, to be able to take notes, to, you know, to have a good listening ear. And a lot of times, you know, mm-hmm. my my um, mentor was one for, you know, I'll tell you once. And so you might mm-hmm. listen, listen well, take notes, because they'll come back and ask me. Okay. Something else. So, I had that type of training, and so it's really stuck with me. So it's like I really have a listening ear. Sometimes you have to listen to the unspoken things as well. Right. So those are some of the things I talk about within the book or when I do, like, seminars and stuff that we talk about and discuss scenarios and those types of things that kind of it makes you or break you, really, because it's not yeah. – and I tell people it's not – for everyone, especially if you're um, like a stylist that's more this modern day today stylist, they're not used to the fundamentals of hairstyling as far as like, you know, going back to the basics with skip ways, pin curls, barrel curls, you know, all those different types of curls. So all of these styles that are made from the 1800s and, you know, so forth are all based off of that that. If you look at a lot of these uh, sci-fi movies, most of those styles are based off of those basics. Mm. So if you're, you know, if you're not one to want to learn those basics or just, you know, be a, a, like I'm a wand curl or a flat iron stylist, it would it would never work for you. Oh wow! Unless you unless you're willing to learn you know, the basics and the hardcore, you know, uh, when you when you style hair, you want the hair to last all day, not for yeah. the last five minutes. So it's, I tell them you want your best at your quickest. Now, did, hmm. you, did, you just, did you just say a flat iron stylist? Yes. <laughs> and I'm sure you say most of them want to take the flat iron and make curls and by the time oh, they oh leave God. out, the, cur- the curls are gone, and yep. so and and I and I experienced that when I was I was running um, background for a couple of shows, and the stylists were actually like we were doing the early '90s. Those were all actual Marcel curls or curls that were roller sets, mm-hmm. not 
not a wand curl. And a wand curl is a different type of curl than a ribbon curl that you're going to do as a spiral curl. Mm-hmm. So your curl formation is, you know, I tell them it's important because all of this tells the story. When people look at it, they need to have a direct reference to what it is they're seeing because a lot of times you might not, if it's a person that's hearing impaired, you can't hear them, but you can see what's happening. So that's part of the story, just like in theater. It's, they're still telling part of the story of visual. Gotcha. So, great. So, so great. can I – I just wanted to ask uh, – piggyback on that, what you were just saying really quickly. So okay. is it safe to say – is it safe to say, for instance, if you were doing a – like a 1960s show – that mm-hmm. these stylists need to know how the how the hair was curled at that time, so they just can't take their oh, flat yeah. irons and try to create that look with their flat irons during a modern oh, day technique for a period look. No, it doesn't work. It doesn't work because yeah. that that crokinole curl is going to come out differently than a curl that you take. Say, like for instance, you take a flat iron and do a curl. You'll get the curl, but the curl pattern won't be the same. You won't get the same S pattern. You won't get the same wave pattern. If you're doing, like, I just did a show and I had to do a mock-up for uh, Coretta Scott King. And, you know, that specific hairstyle she had was a roller set or Marcel set. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. when you comb out, it has a specific wave that it carried, and it, the hair stayed. So mm. it should be, I tell them, I said, you know, you should always look at what your finished product is and then formulate what that set would have been. But if you don't have the basics of roller setting, you know, uh, Marcel curls, you would never be able to create that, recreate that style. Right. But your, your basics are very, very important. So this brings me to the question, like, how do you go about your research for your projects? Oh, oh to the library, um, a lot of books. You you know, a lot of people try to um, – I just did a project for the Lion King and for the 25th year anniversary. So I was talking to the young lady about doing research, and so a lot of people just go to Google and pull up the first thing they see. But I tell them those things you can't go to Google because at that time, camera phones were not a thing. So these pictures that you're pulling up are recreation of those times, but you have to go through and find paintings. So you have to do museum visits. You have to dig a little deeper and um, find research books that were books from that time, um, magazine ads and magazines and books from that time period. So it's not so much just go online and Google because you can't get the true essence. You know, you have to find yearbooks of real people, you know, for that time period and that economy because every person, because of their status, economic status, wore different hairstyles. So that's part of telling your story as well, doing you know, thorough research and say, you know, this might have been a housekeeper or a maid for this time, but this person was from that, um, you know, from up a nonchalant of the New Hampshire area, and you have this person from the South 
So would their style be the same? No. Hmm. So, so those are the types of, you know, I just really dive deep when I do research and it's not just a Google search. Right, right. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. So. I like I like when you reference that you have to, you know, you have to see examples from real life people. Yes. Yep. And that, yep. that's that's the biggest thing. You can't say, oh, oh, I found this picture right here on Google, so I'm just going to go with that. And it's like, mm, no, that's not that's not that's not a that's not a period from the 70s or the 60s. It's not that because you can tell by the curl set, the roller set, certain hairsprays they didn't have back then, and it's you know they mostly use like for Mahalia. Uh, I watched the movie Mahalia, and I was like. I don't know who did this, but they didn't do the proper research because Mahalia's hair was never that. Mm. So you have to be really careful when you get iconic people, especially yeah. when people do our movies. I said, even if it's a low budget, still stick right. true to your craft. If you don't, I was taught, even if you don't have the budget, you have to make it look like you had the budget. Right. And, okay. and I think that I think I think that's why some of these period pieces just fall flat because yes. I mean it's just like you said you have to do the research and when I think of the word research I just think of digging in like really yes. digging in getting to the mm-hmm. meat of stuff so you have to put the time and the work in before you can even start thinking about anything else you got to think right. about what it's supposed to what it's supposed to look like right and, and, and especially that, when you have yeah. When you when you have someone like Coretta Scott King, I mean, I just heard recently about um, a show that was being shot here in Atlanta, where um, the hairstylist was trying to figure out. I mean, because it was about Coretta and Martin and Malcolm, mm-hmm. and and the hairstylist was trying to figure out um, what kind of style she was mm. going to give Coretta for like the next scene or something. And I'm thinking, what do you mean? What kind of style? Style, right? Coretta well, most of us only know style. Coretta had one style. Her, the most, style. you know, right. the and, whole and life. It, and if it changed, it changed very subtly. That's right. Right. That's right. Very yeah. subtle change. That's right. And and we have to stop being. We have to stop being those people who just want to do our craft and think it's all about us and our no. ideas and all that because yeah. it's not. Yeah, it's that, not. that, I, I that mean, one that stands out to me because it hurt my heart when I saw that. And I was like, cause one of the first shows I did was Mahalia on, on with Frenchie Davis and and uh, we were in Connecticut. And they were so specific on the hair, like that bump she had when she had the, the set and that one curl would fall down. It was just like there were so many specifics of her that work iconic. So you have to do your proper research and, and see what it is and then figure out hair texture. So then you get these these cheap wigs and then you style them and it was like that hair, their hair texture was never that silky. Mm. At least give them some texture in the roots, you know, because most of that was just pressed out. So you have to think about that if they were perspiring let me give them some texture in the roots. The rest can be straight, but get the right texture of hair, you know, like a yaki 
texture and, and set that. Hmm. So it's a lot of like little detail. I I look at the smallest details when I'm looking like zooming in and like really digging in. I did one for uh Shirley Chisholm and it was about, you know, that full head of hair that had to be that same full head of hair throughout her career. So it's like mm-hmm. when you see these people, it has to bring that to memory. Especially I was taught that you always wanna have, especially in the theater, you always wanna have people that know the period. Yes. And they will criticize very harshly if it doesn't meet the story because that's part of the one most elements of your design is the hair, just like with the makeup, the costumes, and everything else. Mm-hmm. So you have to, you know, be willing to work with the costume designer, be willing to work with the makeup artist. And I don't, and I don't understand what this always is a separation and a fight between, you know, mm-hmm. costume, hair, makeup, because we it's all a collaboration. Right. It's all collaboration. So yeah. And when and when each and when each department gets it right. That's what mm-hmm. helps to tell. The, that's what helps to tell the story. Exactly. It makes the storytelling so much easier. Mm-hmm. It makes your job easier when we can all work together. It's like if I oh, know your idea right. with, with okay, I'm doing this. What do you think about that? You know, it, so it just makes life so so much easier. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. Like I work, we worked on um, Legendary. That was you know we did the first season of Legendary, and it was like. You know, they coming in when you have actors that are not actors, but you have a first team of 45 and everybody has their own concept and you have to bring their concept to life and work with makeup mm-hmm. and wardrobe. And we had a, we only had a three-day turnaround with that. Mm. A three-day turnaround, doing ball caps and styling all these different thing elements and, you know, getting that right was, you know, it was you had to work closely with we had to work closely with makeup. So it was like they would come in early, I would prep the hair for the ball cap and then they come back and get any pieces added on to that. So, mm-hmm. you know, it's always about working together as a team for me. So Yeah. I find that so you said you said you worked on the first season. Have they had more than one season on Legendary? Yeah. Three seasons. The first season we did in Connecticut, and then they had they moved it to LA and did the other two seasons. Okay, because I know I just remembered at at the Guild Awards this year, Legendary was winning a lot. I think in both yep. hair and makeup categories. Right. Yeah. Uh-huh. Yeah, but we mm-hmm. started that that trend of uh, having it to a higher standard, you know, of just um, ballroom, you know, following fall ballroom. And, creativity of all of that. Right. Yeah. Nice. Nice. So what, in your opinion, what makes a great hairstylist? <sighs> a good listener. Mm. A good listener. Like I Amen. said, a lot of times we, 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 we hear what the clients are saying or what the actors are saying, but we are in our own heads about the look. And you can't be married to a style. You may have one concept in your head that you're married to, 
but you can't be married to that. And, you know, the director may come and say, I don't like that. The stylist could, I mean, the actor could come and refuse the wig and say, I don't want to wear a wig. I want to wear my own hair. And I've been faced with those things, you know, you have to figure out on a, you know, at the drop of a hat, a good compromise or coming in with um, alternatives that may not be to your, you know, um, judgment or style for the part, but other creatives have more say than you do at sometimes in that in that in that fight. So you just gotta you know pick your battles, and so I say be a, a great listener and knowing your your fundamentals, basically. I said if you know I tell if you know your fundamentals, it's not gonna be a hard job. The job is not hard. But please don't be a water stylist. Yeah. Take you talk, more pride to do the research. Oh, for sure, for sure. Um, you've talked about, you know, you you you've worked in salons, you've worked stage and theater, you've done film and TV. Is there something that you still love to do in this business that you haven't? That's no. I've department headed, I've keyed. Um, no, there's nothing else that I that I could see that I would want to do, other than do more department head jobs and do more creative. I don't think I, yes, I'm gonna say this. I don't think I haven't done yet is sci-fi. That's my ultimate dream. <laughs> and why is that? <laughs> it's a work on sci-fi because I grew up with Star Wars. Star Trek, okay. you know, so I'm just, I'm just a fan. I'm just a fan, mm-hmm. and I, I would just be in heaven if I, if I had one of those jobs, even if just day plan. It would just be a dream come true. That would be nice. Gotcha. Yeah. Nice, nice, nice. So tell us a little bit about the GB Academy. The GB Academy is something I, um. I started some years ago with a friend of mine that um, passed away, and we were working on this. And um, during the um, uh, the presidential, uh, oh gosh, I can't think of the um, debate for um, Obama. She passed away doing that um i was there working and we had been working on this um training academy and so i'm just trying to follow through with it now and bring it back to life as far as giving training of the basics um to up-and-coming people that want to be you know just a better stylist or designer as far as understanding wig building so um doing classes on wig building and just set etiquette and how to maintain set etiquette, set set etiquette, you know, how ways of getting in to want to join the union even because it's like a lot of times you don't just jump in and go into TV and film. You have to do commercials. You have to do theater. You have to do these non-union 
projects to even get your days or get training in. So I brought a few people in under that, you know, tutelage and mentorship. So I feel like this is a better way to reach more people, like to do more online classes or just give them a taste of answering their questions to why is it that you want to do this? Is it for the money or is it for the love? Right. You know, so you know you have to make that a lot of, and I know a lot of people come into it for the money, and you can get burned out really quickly and easily because production is not easy. You know, no. hours, long hours. I mean, I, I remember one time on pose, I, one week I did seventy-seven hours, mm. and one week. So just knowing that. You don't get sleep, and you're not. It's not about you. It's not about you picking whatever side you want to do that day. It's about the continuity. It's about you know just the standards and being polite to the next person that you're working with, being able to work with a team. So yeah, uh, that that's one reason why I wanted to bring back um, and continue the legacy of my friend and do the um, academy. Nice. So, you know, offering yeah, wig building, hair cutting, that type of thing. You know, speaking of, like, educating, I've been hearing a lot over the last few years um, from, um, you know, up-and-coming stylists who are in cosmetology school and um, and they're talking about, you know, the way some of these cosmetology schools are now, like the instructors, um, you know, a lot of complaints about the instructors are not good, mm-hmm. the, instructions, mm-hmm. the instructors don't know what they're, you know, doing. And, and, these, and these young women have their uh, reasons for what they're saying or what have you. Um, but just me on the outside looking in, I'm hearing a lot about that, and they will go to state board about their complaints, um, mm-hmm. and there's, and there's nothing done. Or they'll go to the person who actually owns the school, not necessarily the person who's running the school, but they'll be complaining about the person running the school, and nothing's mm-hmm. ever done. Okay. And right. it just, and I don't know if you've ever heard any of these stories, but I've I've heard that a lot from hairstylists to nail techs you know, just complaining about the schools now. Mm-hmm. And so they're not, they're not, and I, and I have a big complaint because I'm like, they're coming out and it's like, you know, how do you go through this training? But I guess if you don't, if the, the educators haven't had the proper training, how can you train? Right. And so exactly. You have, train, you have to train the educators. And a lot of people have, um, I've noticed have this pride, and they don't want to further their training. And, I, you know, people talk about me all the time, Greg, why are you always going back to school or learning something different? It's like you have to keep your mind going. You have to want to learn. Like I would be stuck if I, you know, you know, people think that I only do period hair, but I do modern-day hair. But I've always got pigeon-toed into period. So, you know, I've just been known for doing period hair and, and wigs, so that's where I'm kind of like put into that little category. 
even though it's a good place to be because a lot of people don't do that. But it's mm-hmm. just when you have people coming in and then you have to train them to do the same thing. And it's like they don't even understand the terminology. I, I asked this one lady one time, like, can I get a non-section? And she thought I was talking a foreign language. Mm. And I'm saying these are just basic things I'm just asking for, like give me a bricklay roller set, you know, so, you know, I could take pictures of the set and make sure they're on base, and it's like they can't even do a proper roller set. Wow. So you know, that hurts my heart, okay. and it comes from, like you say, the training they got in school. Mm-hmm. Yeah, because you yeah. just said earlier that most of these, I mean, all of these styles really come from the basics. The base, All of them come from the basics. They all come from the basics. And that's what I tell them. I said, you know, if you understand your basics, you can create anything. But they, right. you know, if you don't have the right implement, if all you say, all all I need is a curling iron and a wand and a, and a wand and a flat iron, I was like, okay, what are you creating with that? What are you creating with that? Because hmm. you can't do anything from the 60s with that because your set is not tight enough to even do the backcombing that's required. Mm-hmm. So if backcombing is a thing that they don't even, you know, a lot of times understand what that is or how to create good padding and backcombing into a style. So it, it's, it, it comes from the training. And, you know, a lot of people being embarrassed to even go back to school to want to even get the training. And can, mm-hmm. can you attribute some of that to, like, a lot of people not working with different hair textures and not would, having that experience? I would say yes. Because I... I, I can I tell, and this is this is something I tell. I went yes, I went to a black school. I went to Dublin, mm-hmm. mm-hmm. but I also trained in a white salon, Caucasian salon. Mhm. And I felt it was important. I tell anybody that asks me now, I said, you know, if you're black, go to a white school. Mhm. If you're white, go to a black school, because mm-hmm. that way you you're used to doing your own hair. Because right. I'm sure you, your mama, your sister, your cousins, or whoever, you're used to that texture. So expand mm-hmm. your horizon and open your eyes to other things. So it's like when I come in and I see a black guy, it's like, how are you doing this white hair or Caucasian hair or this, you know, Dominican hair? You know, I just look at hair as texture, just like fabric. It's all texture. It's knowing what to use and what to use and what not to use. Mm-hmm. I can go into any of those settings and you know when I first started in theater I heard the actors say you know you're good at what you do but you know once you I, this is before I was union but they said once you become union you would, you would never work on that and that was and that stuck with me for many years and then after I got into TV and film I noticed that I was like you know you're right you have these Caucasian Department heads and Caucasian people doing these mostly black shows, ethnic shows, and they don't know the hair textures. Mm-hmm. So I said, you know, but then why are we not put in those positions or we put in positions of, you know, serving to someone else of our skin 
talent when they don't have it. But we have to, me as a, a ethnic male, I have to know how to do all textures. Right. I went on a show one time, and, and the actress asked for, you know, black stylist. So that's when I came in, and one of the ladies that was the apartment said, "Oh, you're the you're the stylist that do black hair." She said this to me, and I said, "No, I'm the stylist that do all types of hair." Mm-hmm. So you know, and it's just those, you know, instances that. I run into or we run into. And so I said, you know, that's why I think discussion needs to be out there for these younger stylists coming out. Know your craft. Know yeah. your craft. Yeah. Know what you're doing and why you're doing it. And a lot of times, you know, I ask people, say, why are you doing that? And they can't tell me. They're just doing what they've seen done, but don't know why they're doing it or how they're doing it. So that's another thing that's really important. Know what you're doing and why you're doing it. You need to be able to articulate what you're doing and be able to explain that to your director or to your actor or to your client even to make sure that you're, that's why I say listen is important, but you need to be able to articulate it back to them, what it is that they want or they think they want and what it is that you're going to be able to do for them. Right. Right. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. So that that that's a real. I think for me, it's just such a big pet peeve when I come into these situations and I and I watch other stylists work and I'm like, wow. You know. Mm-hmm. Like, but it, you know, and and when you sure you're the same way when it when it comes to makeup. I'm not sure if makeup is the same way as hair because. It's all technique and, you know, an experience. But it's like when you're working and you know your craft, you know your craft, and you see someone come in and, like, trying to fake their way through it, but it's like leaving. They do the work, and then you have to come back behind them and correct it. Yeah. Oh, yeah, it's the same way in makeup. <laughs> yeah. So yeah. I just, yeah. So it, it, it's yeah. been a whirlwind experience. So I think that's one reason why I want to do more training now because I feel it's a need. But yeah. then again, you have to want it. And you have so many of these social people out here giving their critiques on hair, land wigs, and this and that. And I'm like, you know, you have to still protect the hair. And that's why so many young girls now don't have hair or edges because of they're going out here following behind people that are not trained properly or licensed. (laughs) Yep. I mean, everybody thinks, you know, an influencer on Instagram, you know, what they say is law. Right. And, And, and you know, know, there's so many ways to, you know, put lay, lay down a wig and still protect your edges. It's not for, you to wear it twenty four seven. Right. Right. That was never designed for that. Right. Yeah. I see so many. I see so many people now on social media. Um, you know, airbrushing edges and mm-hmm. all this stuff and the you know, little so temporary many... pieces. Yes. 
I, I see another baby hair. Oh my God, I want to pull my hair out. I don't even. Th- I don't even think people even know what baby hairs really look like. They can't possibly. They can't possibly. If you're bringing your whole bang down. You bring the whole thing. I said, baby hairs were never, well, you would never really see baby hairs, you know, and that's that's a mileage, the millionth hair that's 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 just there that you don't pinch up. That's like not there that you see that's trying to cover up your lace. Right. So, wow. And it's, and, it's right. so, and it's just so obvious. I mean, I've I've had them come on set like that, and it's like, you know, you're doing a. a, a an 80 show and you got 30 inches of hair down your back. So where were you? Where are you going? Where are you going? Mm-hmm. And it's bad when you ask them to take the wig off. Like I right. Just said, yeah, but then you got to put a wig on top of your wig. Yep. I mean, where are you going? You got braids down to your butt. Where were you going? You got. You got. To, you when you signed up for this. So. <laughs> It's it, it's it's some challenges nowadays, but yeah. But you know, we're we're all, we're all in it to uh, make a difference and create. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. Edu- educate me. You know, they come. We just did Wu Tang, and they were like, "Well, they my mama was wearing this. No, your mama wasn't. <laughs> no, no, wasn't. That that hair was not." It, you know, definitely not Warren curls, but nobody wearing Warren curls in the eighties and nineties. Mhm. You know, no. So actually, thirty, twenty inches was long back then. They wasn't. They wasn't even doing twenty inches back then. Yeah. Wow. <laughs> well, Greg. Um... For these last few minutes, um, I know you mentioned it, but tell us a little bit about um, a little bit about um, Hose, your experience on the show, and leading up to the win for the Emmy. Oh, Hose! Oh gosh, I started out um, second season of Hose and went from doing background, and that, like I said, that experience was like one of the most amazing experiences to interact with people from the ballroom community directly and being able to bring their dreams, you know, to fruition and creating hair and activities that they had and moved on from there. I went to um, working with First Team and, you know, styling a lot of the wigs and coming up, you know, helping come up with the concept and the department head we had was, just amazing experience working with him because he would kind of like tell you the direction and then he let you have free, free range to create. So it was like, mm. um, the head, the key, the third, and then we had, so it was four of us as far as the first team. And so we basically all kind of did our own thing, but still kept it cohesive with in that period. Right. So that was, you know, amazing being able to work with an apartment head that was, he was Caucasian, but the diversity of the trailer was so open and kind and, like like I said, listening, being able to listen to each other's needs and, you know, experiences. So that, that was a big part. So it was like 
part of the story touched my and you know, I lived through that period. So a lot of the storylines hit home for me. So for me to be able to even work on the show was just a dream come true. So I had a lot invested. You know, I invested 150% into, you know, the needs and, you know, talking with the actors and their experiences. So it's like you want to give that you're all to that experience. So I think working into the third season, when we started, it was right before the pandemic. And so we were off the, um, we were only weeks in. So when we came back from the pandemic, it was just a total difference in just the the life and the you know the exchange and experiences, not being able to see each other's faces and just a sensitivity to everything around. So we didn't have any balls until the very end because of mm-hmm. outbreaks of COVID and you know the the restraints that we had with wearing the PPEs and the helmets and all of that through that whole experience. So when it came to the um, nomination and then the Emmy win, it was just like, wow. But you don't, you know, when you're in the moment and creating, winning the Emmy is not part of your thought process. Mm -hmm. Creating, Creating and putting out the best product you can and so I feel like winning the Emmy was just the icing on the cake for the product that was put out, you know. Right. Just the attention to detail and the cohesiveness of everything and all the elements that came through that process. You know, it was so many different types of hair during that, that period because it was such an iconic Period, you know, hair was such a big thing. It wasn't just because you had long hair, short hair, curly hair, straight hair, you know, the avant-gardeness and, you know, just the overall over the top. It's like, wow, we did this. When you go back and look at it, like, we did this and it's something to be proud of. And the, I yeah. think the because of the project, a lot more because it was like the first show that demonstrated, you know, um, the LBT community on that level, that national level like that. And so to be recognized for working on an iconic show like that and production was such, you know, sensitive to, you know, the masses that I, I think that was, a bigger part of I've never experienced that from a production or a set before, like the love that we all shared, you know, hair, makeup, wardrobe, that whole, it was like, we were like, felt like a family. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. So it, it was well-deserved and well-shared. And has actually winning the Emmy, has it, changed anything at all um, about the business for you? Um, do you look at how you approach each job? Is it is it something different for you now? Or now, is that now, the thought of an Emmy now a part of your thought process? You know, now it 
It really is because now it's like I want to pick and choose the right projects to be a part of. Yep. But mm-hmm. sometimes necessity gets us. And I'm saying I've, I've fallen susceptible to this, that because of necessity of wanting to work, that I yeah. made not so great choices. Mm-hmm. So I would say, you know, for me, I'm I'm not the type of person that likes, I don't like to compromise my integrity. Mm-hmm. Just to say that so I'm not going to, allow myself to be treated any type of way. And so that's a big thing for me now that I know my worth mm-hmm. and I know where I've come from and I know where I want to go. So you have to be mindful of, cause you don't want to be um, labeled to working on shows that are not of quality from coming from a show of quality. Right. Right. Yeah. So. Right. That that's I would say that was that's the biggest thing that I've taken from winning the Emmy. It does affect your thought process and I think it affects other people's process when they um approach you as well because you know, more people know than you know that you've won an Emmy or right. they look at you when they meet you as like, oh, you're an Emmy winner, so I know you're styling. You know, you're going to judge me on my styling. I'm not, I'm not here to judge. You know, I tell them I'm not here to judge what you do because your art is your art. But if you ask me, no, I will tell you. <laughs> right. So it's not, right. you know, it's not of being shady. If you ask me, I will tell you, but if, if you don't ask, I'm not the type of person, oh, child, look at what, no. Mm-hmm. Because it's, that's not my place. You know, everybody has their, I, I understand everybody has their hand and everybody approaches things differently. So, but I am here yeah. to help, assist if, if, you, if I'm asked and let's keep creating. That's what I say. Right. I love yeah. it. I love it. I love it. I thank you so much for joining us tonight. This has been great. Thank um, you. Yeah, really has. Hopefully I'll get to see you ladies of Georgia again. Yes. Um, is, is it, would you um, share with our audience like where they can find you on social media, how they can keep in touch with you in, in regards to your um, GB Academy and your ebook? Sure, it's um, on um, Greg, G-R-E-G underscore Baysmore. On, that's on Instagram and the same on Greg Baysmore on um, Facebook. Nice. And final question, what okay. is your definition of beauty? What is your definition of beauty? My definition of beauty... All things beautiful is in the eye of the beholder, you know. It's beauty is something that's cohesive and has harmony. So I see whenever th- things have balance and harmony, when they all come together, that's beauty to me. Nice. Nice. Thank you so much, 
Greg, continued success in your career. Um, Thank congratulations you. on the Emmy win again. Um, yes. And just hope, hope, to, hope to see your name on many, many more um, in the All near right. future. Okay. Thank you. Have Thank you so night. much. Have a good night. All right. All right. Bye-bye. Thank you guys so much for tuning in on this early edition of Beauty Talk. Um, great to have Greg Bazemore on the line. Uh, so thank you again, Greg, for uh, joining us tonight. Uh, we'll be back again next Sunday night. Um, stay posted to all of our social media accounts, and we'll let you guys know if we'll be on at 8 or 9. It, it'll depend um, on our schedule. But, again, thank you so much for tuning in with us tonight. We greatly appreciate it. You can find us on Instagram at beauty underscore talk underscore media. We are beauty underscore talk on Twitter, and we are beauty talk online on Facebook. You can find uh, my sister and I on social media just by our names on all platforms. I am at Janice Tunnell. That's J-A-N-I-C-E-T-U-N-N-E-L-L. And my sister's at Denise, that's D-E-N-I-S-E-T-U-N-N-E-L-L. Again, thank you guys for your continued support. Thank you for those who will listen to tonight's show on the playback. Thank you to all of our supporters all around the world. We greatly appreciate you. Have a wonderful evening and have a beautiful and blessed week, everybody. Good night. Good night, everybody.